even our children are looking forward to the day when we get our communion bread back. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I think it's supposed to be bread. Yeah, it's reported to be bread. Uh, well, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you're a middle-class farmer. Uh, you aren't rich, but you live a comfortable life on the same farm that your ancestors worked for generations. The crops usually come in. Uh, your herds of livestock might not be large, uh, but they're certainly big enough to provide for your family's needs and also to provide for some financial cushion from the sales of excess rams and young bulls. And you eat well from what your family uh, farm produces, and while it's not a plush life, uh, there's not a lot of upholstery necessarily. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty good life. But now imagine that a call went out across the nation to leave all these good things behind, to pack up your family and your house, and move today to downtown Detroit. Can you imagine leaving your ancestral lands for a place that is full of burned out buildings and vacant lots that have replaced once vibrant businesses and well-kept homes? Would you pack up your life and your family and move there to one of the least desirable places in America to try to rebuild it? I'm willing to bet that most of us, given the option, would say, no way, no how am I doing that. Because, after all, the work involved in doing that very thing would take not weeks, not months, not years, but possibly generations. Rebuilding a ruined city is more than a lifetime's worth of work. But what if God were calling you to do it? to participate with him in the grand restoration of a city which sin and its judgment had destroyed. Would you go there then? Well, this is very much the situation that is facing the people of Israel in Nehemiah's day. The exiles had returned some 80 years in the past, and they had all gone back to their ancestral lands and farms and homes and towns. And meanwhile, they had rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, but no one wanted to live there because it was a wreck. Even after the wall was rebuilt, uh, there were very few homes that were standing there and very few people that lived there, except some of the Levites and temple servants and priests who were living on the hill near the temple that was called the Ophel, but it was a shell of a city, a remnant of its former glory as a capital of this nation. But for God's restoration to be complete, that needs to change. And so Nehemiah chapter 11 is given to us as the inspired record of how God began to work among his people and bring about change and a restoration in a ruined place. 
And I think that it tells us today some things we need to know about how God might be working in our community, in our place, in our church, as we try to rebuild what the pandemic hath destroyed, all right? That that we try to, as we try to rebuild things and repair things, uh, we learn also some things in this chapter about what God values and the, the things that he ex- honors and exalts. And so uh, I want to read the text for us. Uh, this is Nehemiah chapter 11. And if you would stand, if you're able, as I read, please, in honor of God's word. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his own property in their own towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, and temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants, And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez. And Maasiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhosa, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshullam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Coliah, son of Maasiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hashanua, was second over the city. And of the priests, Jediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshullam, son of Zadok, son of uh, Merioth, son of Ahutub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822, and Adaiah, the son of Jeroham, son of Pelaliah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pasher, son of Malchijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' houses, 242. And Amashai, the son of Azarel, the son of Azai, son of Meshilamot, son of Emmer, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolim. And of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrakam, son of Hashabiah, son of Buni, and Shebathai, and Josabad of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house of God, and Madaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbakiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shamua, son of Galal, son of Jeduthun. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. The gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brothers who kept watch at the gates were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and Levites were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Ophel, and Zihah and Gishpah were over the temple servants. 
the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzzi, the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Pethahiah, son of Meshezabel, of the sons of Zerah, of the son, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and Debon and its villages, and then Jechabzeel and its villages, and Jeshua and then Moladah, and in Beth Pelet, and Hajar Shual, and Beersheba, and its villages, and Ziklag, and Mechanoah, and its villages, and Anrimon, and Zorah, and Jarmuth, Zanoah, Adullam, and their villages, Lachish, and its fields, and Azekah, and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward to, at Michmash, Ija, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hatsur, Ramah, Getayim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nebalat, Lod, and Ono, the Valley of Craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites and Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we have encountered in your word another passage containing hard-pronounced names of people and unrecognized by most of us places. And we wonder what it has to say to us. Father, I pray that you would teach us from your word what you have this chapter here to teach us. That we might learn and be encouraged as we gather together in worship this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, there are two important truths that I think are here in this text. Uh, the first one is that God honors willing service in undesirable places. Uh, and that is, I think, really important for us to get our arms around. Uh, what we see in, and receive from God in Nehemiah chapter 11 is this truth, that God honors willing service in undesirable places. And the text makes this clear, first 24 verses uh, don't miss the method by which they select people to go and live in Jerusalem. First, all the leaders go. Everybody who is a leader has to go and live in Jerusalem. You know why that's important? Because if you're a leader, you set the example for what you want your people to do. There's no, there should be, if you're a real leader, no separate better system for you than what you demand of everybody else. Amen? And so if you're a leader, you are the first one to take the windy side of the hill. You lead from the front, not from the back, telling everybody else, hey, go do, uh, you know, go do what I'm willing to do in theory, but haven't done in practice. And so uh, all of the leaders are publicly identified as to who they are and where they come from and what their role in the city is. Because the idea is first that these leaders are to be people who are taking action to do what God is calling the nation to do. Amen? So, uh, I already said this. We want you all to volunteer for VBS. Who signed up for VBS? I did, right? Why? Because... Leaders do 
what we ask God's people to do. Okay? Um, so then also don't miss the rest of the method for how they got people to go live in Jerusalem. Now, you know, we try to we think of Jerusalem, or if you see it today, you know, you, you look out across these photos of Jerusalem. I've never gotten to go. Hoping maybe I get to go sometime in the future, but I've never gotten to go. I've always wanted to be there to walk those streets and see those places. And and you see the photos and you look out across that city and you go, oh, that would be so cool to be there, right? But that's not the reality of, of, uh, of Nehemiah's day. It is very much like those photos from Detroit that you see, of, you know, the Detroit Industrial Park, where it's just wreckage and ruins and weeds everywhere. And so they have, uh, verse 2 tells us, a few people who volunteer to go and do this. They said, well, I will move my family and we will go to Jerusalem. And the people pronounce a blessing on them. Special blessing on the people who are willing to go. But guess what? The gap between the need and the, uh, and the willing volunteers means that there are a number of other people who have to be voluntold that they're going to go live in Jerusalem, right? And so they cast lots. You know, they essentially what that means is they rolled dice and they had a draft. Okay? And they drafted a bunch of people and their families from these outlying areas where people had lived for the last 80 years, where they had returned to their ancestral homes and lands. And imagine this. You've come back 80 years previous and you have left everything in Babylon behind and you've rebuilt... Uh, your home and your lands and your fields and your vineyards and your fruit trees are all growing and everything's going good and now you're going to move into a ruin. And they, so they have a draft. And they take 10% of all of the men from across the nation. It adds up if you total up all the numbers, it adds up to a little over 3,000 people. Uh, and if, so if you account for their families, maybe 10,000 that move into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, so maybe you have a total population of 100,000 people, which is a fragment of the nation that went into exile. But God is, has rebuilt. He has more than doubled their numbers. Of the exiles that came out, it was about 42,080 years previous. It's about double that now. And they take 10% of them, 10,000 people roughly, and move them into Jerusalem. Uh, the other thing that you need to notice here in this text is all of the names and all of the identification of the roles and the descriptions of the people who are here. I think sometimes, honestly, as we look at sections of Scripture like this, you know, and there have been several of them in Nehemiah where you get these long lists of names that are hard to pronounce. Uh, we've had some of our elders stand up and read, and they read like I do, and you just kind of take your best shot at it, and here we go, right? We're going to say this name we don't really know how to say that has too many vowels and consonants in the wrong places and all that kind of thing, right? Um, and we get tongue-tied in English. 
But here's what is here's what's something to note on this. God wrote the, this book, amen? By his Holy Spirit, the authors of Scripture were inspired to write. And so God felt it was important to record these names. What does that tell you? It ought to tell you that God honors those who serve in undesirable places. Because Jerusalem was not this glorious city. It was a ruin. And they went and served God anyway in an undesirable location. And put in work in places that were, were not first on their priority list. It wasn't where they thought, you know, of all the places I'd like to live, back in that wreck, that archaeological dig that used to be our capital city, that's where I'd like to go. No. None of them wanted to go there. But they went. And we need to know that and deeply understand that God honors service in undesirable places because sometimes, men and women, Sometimes that's the call of God on our life too. Amen? To serve God in ways that make us uncomfortable or that maybe wouldn't be first on our list of places we would like to go and live. Maybe God is calling you to serve in the nursery even though diapers and spit up are not your thing. And they are not my thing. I was very glad to leave that portion of my life behind. We loved having little babies. Uh, I did not like having shirts that looked like we had condors living in our yard, right? Um, you know, just white globs everywhere on the shoulders of stuff, right? And, and, and I blessed the Lord the day we, we got rid of the last box of diapers. I did. Um, and so this may not be your thing, but God might be calling you to go and serve there anyway. God might call you, believe it or not, to leave your comfortable middle class life here in America and move to the other side of the planet and live in a thatch hut with a dirt floor where you worry not so much about what you're going to eat as whether or not the water that you're about to drink contains parasites. Because you are called of God to go and reach those people with the gospel and to plant a church among people who have never heard the name Jesus before. God might call you to do that. God might call you into a spiritually needy place here in America and call you and send you and your family into a church to revitalize it. God might call you into a job that you don't love, but which feeds your family and you regard that as serving the Lord and is more important than your personal satisfaction in what you do. God might lay any number of uncomfortable, undesirable assignments on you. And by the way, word of encouragement, He probably will. <laughs> because, you know why? Because God cares greatly about our character and very little about our comfort. 
He cares greatly about our character and very little about our comfort, and He wants us to look like Jesus. And Jesus, remember, left the throne of God above to dwell as a peasant in a backwater, wearing in His ministry the only clothes that He owned, and to sleep many nights on the dirt. And if God Himself would do that, how much more should we who follow Him be willing to do the same? Amen? But God honors these things. He exalts these things. He keeps record of these things. Jesus said that no one who gives a cup of cold water in My name will fail to receive His reward. Amen? And some of what is recorded in Scripture as honored by God is of much greater uh, a sacrifice than that. And therefore, you will, not receive, you will not fail to receive your reward for greater sacrifices either. Amen? That's if it's true that Jesus honors even a cup of cold water, how much more those who make real hard sacrifices and serve in real, undesirable places, expect. We should expect great reward. Amen? And with that in mind, I want to encourage all of us here at Chillicothe Bible Church that there are likely many hard things ahead of us. I'm excited about what we're doing. I'm excited that children's church has restarted. I'm excited that we get to have a nursery again. I'm excited that we're getting to do some things like go out last night, a whole bunch of us, 20, 20 some of us guys got together and ate burgers and french fries and chips and other kinds of junk food and shotguns and just had a fabulous time together. We really did. And I'm excited we're getting to do some of that. I'm excited that we have Bible studies that are meeting through the week. I'm excited that we're going to have small groups in the fall. I'm excited that we have VBS coming in June. I'm excited about uh, our new ministry to victims of abuse. I'm excited about the possibility that MOPS will launch again. I'm excited about possibly launching Awana again. I'm excited about all of this stuff starting up again. But you, you know what? Doing all of that is going to require all of us at some points to serve the Lord, possibly in some ways we didn't pick and that are undesirable to us. But if you do, know this. God keeps record of you doing so. And He honors and sees and rewards your service to Him. Nothing done in Jesus' name will fail to receive a reward. And we also need to see in this chapter the other major point that's here, I think, is in verses 25 to 36. And it's just a list of place names. Kiriath Arba and Dibon and Hazar Shual and these places, right? And we look at these and we go, where is that? Okay. Um, and what you need to understand is that they're giving you descriptions in this section of uh, the inheritance from north to south or from, you know, from, uh, from 
the valley of Hinnom, which is right at the edge of Jerusalem, all the way to Beersheba is the territory of the tribe of Judah. And then north of the city of Jerusalem is the and east of it are is the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. And what they're giving you is place names that tell you the full extent of how far God has restored these two tribes. These two tribes that went into exile in 586 B.C., and this is now 445 B.C., and so 140 years have passed, and God has brought them back, and he has restored them to the, to the extent of their borders. They have occupied all of the territory that was once theirs, all of the ancient little villages. And a lot of these are little villages. They're literally a wide spot in the road. But guess what? What that tells me is this, that God sees people in little villages and they matter to Him. And God works to restore people in every place that He has people. So guess what that means? We, people who live in a little village, in a little place, God sees us. And He is working to restore us in the same way that He work to restore them. God is just as faithful to people in little villages and wide spots in the road as He is in big cities and big places. God is just as faithful to rebuild His church in Chicago as He is in Chillicothe. Amen? God is faithful and takes note of little people in little places and we can therefore be confident that He is taking note of us and working on our behalf to restore us as well. That we're not going to do this alone, in other words. That the task that God has given us is not something that we just have to kind of grit our teeth and hope for the best uh, and by our own effort sort of crank this up, but God will be there. And He will be with us along the way, helping us and helping us to be restored and to grow and to function in fullness again. Because what God has done in the past, He does in the present. Because His character has not changed. So, given these great truths, I am excited. I am excited for what God is going to do for us and through us in these upcoming months of this year. I know there are exciting things on the horizon as we move further away from having an online presence and back toward worshiping live and in person with all of us and experiencing face-to-face -face community with one another. I'm excited for the restoration of our ministry and the restoration in people's lives that God is not only bringing right now, but is continuing as we draw near to Him. As we trust and obey God, God continues to restore and rebuild people's lives as well. And I believe that we have every reason, therefore, to be encouraged from this chapter. 
Because what we see is what God does. That He is concerned for the rebuilding of every place that He puts people. And guess where He put us? He put us right here. And God is concerned for our restoration. He notices the sacrifices that you make. And He rewards and honors those. And so as we continue to sacrifice and serve and walk with the Lord and trust and obey Him, He sees and honors and rewards all of that. Amen? And He notices just as much little places and little people like us as He does big people and big places somewhere else. Amen? So, with that in mind, let's pray and then let's sing together again. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the encouragement we received from Your Word today. We thank You that You love us and that You are working in us uh, to restore us and to make us like Jesus. To restore us in holiness, to restore us in fellowship with one another, to restore us in fellowship with you. Father, help us to walk with you. Help us to trust you. Help us to obey your word. So that, Father, as you continue your restorative work in Chillicothe and in us, that we might reflect your glory more and more. And, Father, I praise you that you take note of little people. You take note of people like me. And you give us an eternal inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That you give us a body of Christ to be part of. Where we can fellowship one with another. Where we can richly enjoy each other. And uh, be part of a family that loves us. Father, we thank you for all these blessings. We look forward to what you're going to do this year. And we celebrate and give praise to you for all you've done and all you will do. In Jesus' name.